A good year of Shabbos to our friends and members of the Westmount Shul. As you will, when you will be listening to this recording, it will most likely be Pesach Sheni, the second Pesach. The second Pesach is of the 14th day of the month of Iyar, which is this Erev Shabbos. And there's a custom for us to eat a little bit of matzah, maybe even shmura matzah, on this day. And I'd like to discuss for a few minutes what's the significance of Pesach Sheni and its connection to Shabbos and then rolling into Lag Bomer, which will be this Tuesday night. Um, this Tuesday. So... What is the origins of Pesach Sheni? It is found in Parshas Beha'alosecha. Uh, a year after the Jewish people left Egypt and were in the desert, on the 14th, of the Jews were commanded that on the 14th day of Nisan, they would celebrate their first Passover, not in Egypt. And there were many requisite laws for that, but the primary thing is to slaughter a Korban Pesach, an heir of Pesach, and eat it on the night of Pesach. And so it was. Moshe told the Jews what to do, and they celebrated Pesach. However, right after that, some Jews came to Moshe with a complaint. And what was the complaint? You see, to be able to eat the Korban Pesach, a person has to be in a state of purity, of tahara. And anyone who has come into contact with the dead is not in such a state of purity and is not able to partake of the Korban Pesach. So these people approached Moshe Rabbeinu and they said the following, Lama nigra chalkeinu, why should we be deprived and not be able to present God's offering in its time amongst the children of Israel? So that was a big problem. Moshe said, I don't know, wait here and I'll, I'll see what Hashem will command regarding you. And Hashem spoke to Moshe and said, any person who's contaminated by death or is on a distant road, whether among you now or in future generations, shall prepare a Passover offering to God. They will prepare it on the afternoon of the 14th day of the second month and shall eat it with matzahs and bitter herbs. So we now have this idea of Pesach Sheni. There was no Pesach Sheni originally known to the Jewish people. But once the people complained, so therefore we have an understanding of a concept of Pesach Sheni. And indeed, Pesach Sheni is celebrated every year, even though there's no temple anymore. We still commemorate it. Many do not say Tachanun, and many have a piece of matzah. So the real question is, but if the actual Pesach Sheni service does not exist, well, because first of all, we don't have the real Pesach Rishon doesn't exist. We don't bring a Paschal offering in the Pesach Mikdash. So why would there be a second Pesach offering? And therefore that's an issue. And therefore the, the real Pesach that we celebrate has to be done without a, a, a Korban Pesach. But there's a lot of uh, other accoutrements such as matzah and moror and telling over the story. So there's a lot we can do on Pesach Rishon. But really there's nothing we can do to biblically fulfill the idea of Pesach Sheni. So 
So I'd like to discuss this idea of, so, and therefore many people tend to ignore Pesach Sheni because there's no real practical application. And I'd like to share with you a very practical application of this. And again, with another riddle, not as difficult as last week's riddle, but interesting. And I want to ask the following question, and the way I understand it, of course, there could be many correct answers. I don't uh, profess to have the only answer. But what does a Haredi have in common with the concept of FOMO? Now you're thinking, what? Two totally different things. Haredi, the quote-unquote ultra-Orthodox Jewish people, and FOMO is something that regular people have this idea, it stands for fear of missing out. So what do they have in common? So to answer this, I'd like to bring two important questions about this whole Pesach Sheni business. The first question is, where do we find Pesach Sheni in the Torah? And I said, it is in Parshas Baha'alosacha. Now, Parshas Baha'alosacha uh, is dealing, the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar takes place in the second month of the second year of the Jewish people leaving in Egypt. The month of Rosh, Rosh Chodesh Eor is when there was a count of the Jewish people. So, that is when Sefer B'midbar begins. But then the Torah backtracks and goes back to the Pesach that was done two and a half weeks beforehand, as we discussed earlier. And then the question of the Jews saying we, ha- we weren't able to observe took place also right around the 15th, 16th of Nisan, before that counting. So the question is, it seems that, the, that it's out of order. We start Sefer Midbar from the month of Eeyore of the second year, and the whole story of Pesach Sheni is before that. The question was before. The practice was after, but the question was before. And this is a very important question, and from here, the rabbi, see, from here we learn that the Torah doesn't necessarily go in order. But the question is, why is that so? And of all the issues, why over here is this idea brought out to us? So the rabbis give a fascinating answer. Why the Torah did not start Sefer Bamidbor with the idea of Pesach Sheni as it came before. And our uh, our sages explain that the Torah did not wish to begin the book of Bamidbor with something that is a disgrace for the Jews. Why? For in the 40 years that the people of Israel were in the desert, this was the only Passover that they brought, they did not bring it for 39 years afterwards. Now the obvious question is, why should this be regarded as a disgrace? The reason that the people of Israel did not bring a Passover offering until they entered the land of Israel because God did not allow them to. God had instructed that the annual Passover offering should be observed only when you come into the land that God shall give you. Now the first two Passovers, the one observed in Egypt and the one held in the desert, the following years were exceptions to the rule, specifically commanded to God. So what deficiency in Israel's behavior are sages speaking? Why couldn't we have started with Pesach, the second year Pesach, and Pesach Shady, and then discuss the counting that took place later? 
And we're saying, what? It's a disgrace. What's the disgrace? We're listening to what God says. Very great question. Second question is, if we look at the essential uh, mitzvah Pesach Sheni, there's one big difference between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. Pesach Rishon, the original Pesach, we're not allowed to have any chomets in our possession the entire Pesach. Not at all. And we know existentially why what is wrong with chametz. Chametz, it's leaven, it rises up. It's a symbol of egotism and pride. A leavened soul is one in whom the ferment of self-importance has caused him to lose sight of his true place in God's world. You're listening to the Yetzirah with the result that you have a bloated sense of self and inflated wants. And therefore, we can't have any drop of it. So it's really a bad thing. But interesting, Pesach Sheni can be eaten with chametz. Well, if you're trying to uh, replicate the Pesach experience because you missed out, shouldn't you also not have chametz at that time? Fascinating question. These are two questions that have to be understood because the answer to those questions really tells us how we can celebrate the essence of Pesach Sheni even though we don't have a Beis Amigdash and we don't have a Korban Pesach to bring. So let's discuss the first issue. And what is the disgrace that the Jews didn't bring it for 38 years? And the answer lies in the story of that second Pesach. What's going on? A group of Jews found themselves in a state by divine decree absolved from the duty of bringing the Pesach offering. God says, you can't bring it, your tummy. And here's the key. But they refused to reconcile themselves to this. They refused to accept that this way of having a relationship with Hashem, of bringing the Korban Pesach, should be close to them. And their plea was, why should we be deprived? And because of that determination, it swayed Hashem to establish a new mitzvah called Pesach Sheni to enable them and all who might find themselves in a similar situation in future generations to be able to bring a Korban Pesach. And therein lies the disgrace of those 38 other Passover-less years in the desert. The answer is, and the question is, why did the Jewish people reconcile themselves to the divine decree? Why did they accept this void in their relationship with Hashem? Why did they not clamor for the opportunity to serve Hashem in the full and optimal manner with the mitzvahs that the Torah described and have a regular Pesach? And that's the disgrace. The disgrace is this was the only Pesach they had. And you can see it's a disgrace. Why? Because there were others who said, even though they couldn't bring a Pesach Rishon, they wanted a Pesach Sheni, and they got a Pesach Sheni. Why couldn't all the people learn from that and say, we're, we're going to want it for the next 38 years? Now, for more than 1,900 years, our Passovers have been incomplete. Yes, we eat the matz, we eat the more, we drink the four cups of wine, we ask and answer the four questions. But the heart and the essence of Pesach, the Korban Pesach, is absent from our Seder table. For God has hidden his face from us, he's removed the temple. And the lesson of Pesach Sheni is 
God desires and expect us that we refuse to reconcile ourselves to the decree of Golos and the Hester punning that goes with it. Hashem desires and expects us that we storm the gates of Shemayim and we plead with the demand, why should we be deprived? And as much as we can have a beautiful Pesach, we should not be satisfied. And we should all be talking to Hashem and to remember about Pesach. Hashem, why did we not have a Pesach? Why are we not having a proper say? We want to have a proper say. We're not, we're, we cannot reconcile ourselves without that. And now, that's a beautiful thing. However, that takes a certain personality type. So what was special about those people who couldn't reconcile and what was not so special about the rest of the Jewish people? And the answer is the very chametz that you eat on Pesach Shein. Even though we described how improper Chametz is for Pesach because it represents arrogance and all this. But it's very interesting. We see there are times when the when the positive core of a most negative thing rises to the surface and where its godly essence, the holiness of that core, is able to come out beyond any corrupt possibilities. And that's with these group of people who came to Moshe in the desert and their ego, their ego instinct asserted itself not in the form that ego normally is, is the desire of dominance or gratifying yourself, but rather it comes from a a soul-searching desire to serve Hashem. The cry, why should we be deprived, did not express a need to have, but rather a need to give and serve and to recognize and submit to Hashem who can grant this. And in their petition, the ferment and the leavening of their selves was not the antithesis of a humble and self-effacing matzah, but rather its complement. Leaven and matzah coexisted in their souls. Ego giving rise to commitment they realized, you know what? We have to have a certain degree of self-esteem that we are great and we're amazing. And there should never be a situation where we cannot serve Hashem. So the whole Yisod of Pesach Shady came from these people with their quote-unquote selfish cry. They took the Chumets and used it in the right way. There's a time where we have to be emboldened to say, what's going on? I want to serve Hashem. It's a true desire to fear Hashem. And this is the episode of FOMO, fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. How can I just, even though I am excused, I do not take the excuse because serving Hashem is so much more important. I don't say, well, I don't have to, so why bother? I know many of us are struggling to do Kiddush Lavana this month. Since the seventh day of the month, it's been dark, cloudy, and rainy. And maybe maybe just a drop of moon comes out. And the last time for Kiddush Lavana is tonight, Thursday night. The whole Thursday night. 
It's an interesting story. Many, many years ago, almost probably a hundred years ago, there was a student learning in Rad in Poland in the days of the Chavetz Chaim. And one Thursday night, he made a mishmar. He studied late into the night and was on his way home from the base medrash. And the city of Rabin is cold in the winter. It's, it was a snowy, cold night. And the young man was walking home late at night and saw another person walking up and down the street. At first, he was afraid. Who is this person? When he came a little closer, he noticed the person was none other than the Chavetz Chaim. And the Chavetz Chaim asked him, what are you doing up so late at night? It's cold. Go to sleep. And the boy returned to the host where he was staying, which happened to be the house of the sister of the Chavetz Chaim. The yeshiva student woke up on Friday morning and told his host, you know, last night I saw an amazing sight. It was two o'clock in the morning and your brother was running back and forth in the street. What was he doing there? The sister told the young man, this is already the third night in a row he's doing this. He's been trying to say the blessing over the moon, Kiddush Levana, for the last three nights and there was not a clear night during those days of the Polish winter to enable him to see the moon. You see what's going on? The Chavetz Chaim was walking the streets at 2 o'clock in the morning on a cold, snowy night, and he told the student, don't be crazy, go home already. But he kept walking the streets trying to catch a glimpse of the new moon. Now, our attitude in the winter, winter months is, no, this month will not be able to say Kiddush Alana. There's always next month. <laughs> it's not our fault. It doesn't bother us in the slightest. So Hashem, if you wanted me to do the miss, you can make it a clear night. Chavetz Chaim's attitude was like those of the people of Pesach Sheni. Why should we miss out? You see, that's a critical point. Why should we miss out? And therefore, those of us that are still struggling, we're going to keep looking for that moon tonight. And we're going to try to stay up as much as necessary and keep disrupting our life because saying Kiddush Lavani, you know, the rabbi say if we just would do Kiddush Levana, that mitzvah is so great to, to greet the continents of Hashem and how it manifests in our relationship with Hashem via the moon. To go out on rainy nights and try and when's that glimmer, that little moon that comes out. Now, obviously, not everybody is so excited about Kiddush Levana. Women are not even obliged in Kiddush Levana. But this is our avoda of Pesach Sheni. Our avoda of Pesach Sheni is to say, I know there are certain things in my life that maybe I'm not obliged to do. But do we look at that as, oh, great, I don't have to do it? Or what a, what a terrible loss that I'm not able to do this. And if you look in the Sifri, when it comments about these people who wanted to have a Pesach Sheni, look what the Sifri says. Vayom Ruhano as the Pesach says, these people said, they love, Magi to teach you, these people, show B'nai Adam Ksherim, these were kosher Jews, so to speak, V'charedim al ha-mitzvos, literally means trembling over the mitzvahs, meaning they took great care of mitzvahs. And that's the whole idea. These people were excused from bringing the Paschal offering. Pator is pater. You have no obligation to bring it. And there was no need to get upset about this. They could have just walked away from the mitzvah and calmly accepted the fact that they were excused. But the Sifri points out that these were righteous people. They were kshirim. 
Their attitude was, why should we be deprived? And those words were a testimony to the type of people that they were. They said, good, I'm putter, but how can I miss out on a mitzvah? Their attitude that missing a mitzvah is a deprivation. It's something I'm going to miss and I do not want that to happen. And it's not a question of punishment. It's not a question of blame. It's a sense of lacking something if they miss the opportunity. And this is what the Medrash calls trembling to do the mitzvahs. And there's a similar concept in Mesechus Brachas where it says in those days, what's the difference in the earlier generations and the later generations? The earlier generations had miracles. The later generations did not have miracles. And one of the answers is the Gemara said the earlier generations brought their crops in through the front door so then they would be obligated to give tithes from their crops. That's Allah, only if you bring it in the front door. Later generations purposely sought out loopholes and brought in the crops through the back door, so to speak, in order to be exempt from the need to tithe their crops. So what's the difference between the earlier generations and the later generations? The earlier generations had an attitude, why should we be deprived? The latter generation, I look for every excuse they can find to circumvent the laws requiring them to give. And you may ask, well, why did God do that that way? You know why? Because God wants you to have the choice. God built into the Torah opportunities that if you want to find an excuse, I'll give you an excuse. I don't want to force you, even to the point where you don't have to give maestros. Yes, because I want you to feel I got to do it in a way that forces me to do this because I want to do it. And that's when miracles happen. And that's why miracles don't happen. So Haredi and FOMO go hand in hand. But not the regular FOMO. I fear I'm going to miss out. Everybody knows what's going on with the maple leaves. And even if you don't follow the maple leaves, you have to ask about them because FOMO, I don't want to have a fear of missing out. There are certain things we don't have to worry about missing out. A Haredi, his FOMO or her FOMO is, I, I fear of missing out on the opportunity to do a mitzvah. And that's something you really should be fearful about. And that's why if you call yourself a Haredi, it really means you're like these people. Why should we be missing out? Now, there's, it applies in many ways. I don't want to get into politics at all. Many people associate Haredim with people who want to spend their whole day learning Torah. And you know why? Because they you don't have to. You're not obliged to dedicate your whole life to Torah. You're allowed to work, make a nice parnosa. It's not a problem. Hashem's not upset with you at all. And you can always find excuses not to do mitzvahs. But then you're not a Haredi. And remember the, the, the Sifri said, they were anoshim k'sherim, kosher people, v'charedim ala mitzvahs. And therefore, people who choose a lifestyle, which would mean that we not necessarily can have all the creature comforts of our lives, because we don't want to, we have fear of missing out on mitzvahs. That's not a negative, that's a positive. Some people may use it as a pejorative only because they can't imagine what's so great about doing mitzvahs. What's so great about dedicating your life because you fear that you don't, you don't want to miss out on that relationship with Hashem. 
And others say, listen, I'll do what God makes me do and what I'm forced to do. But to fear missing out, listen, if you tell me uh, tomorrow, I don't have to say Tachanon, wow, that's amazing. I don't have to say Tachanon. Too bad it's not a Thursday. I could miss more Tachanon. That's one way of looking at it. You're not a sinner, but you're not a Haredi. And remember, if you want miracles, miracles happen to Haredim. They don't happen to people who say, let me know the minimum amount I can do. So therefore, as we pull out our matzah, together with our chametz, we realize that Hashem wants us to twin the two concepts, have the chametz, to have the ego of self-esteem, to say, I, I must have this because I don't want to lose out on my relationship with Hashem. That's the chametz, and therefore I'll be able to do the Korban Pesach, which was not allowed. So we don't have a Korban Pesach. So what we have to say to Hashem is, we're going to do a mitzvah that we normally are not obligated to do. There's many of us who are not obligated to do certain things. To existentially perform the mitzvah of Pesach Sheni is to take something that until now you have felt you're not obligated. And maybe you're not. But to take it a step further, and say, but I, how can I not do this? And Pesach Shani always comes out after the fourth week of, of, of Sphira is finished. And the fourth week is the meat of Netzach. Netzach is eternity, endurance, never giving up. Only after we finish developing Malchus Sheba Netzach can we humbly move into Hod, which is humility. And from a place of humility to Hashem, use our netzach and say, I don't have to compromise even though I'm entitled to. And really, I was so uh, gratified last Shabbos, a number of Shabbosim, where the weather has been very nasty. It was a steady rain last Shabbos. And Friday night, a full oilam in the shul. Shabbos day, full oilam in the shul. Shalashudas, a full oilam in the shul. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Some people say, well, you know, it's raining. It's, you know, and especially the women, I give extra praise because I understand it's more difficult for a woman to go in the rain than a man regarding their hair and all this stuff, their shaitals. You got an excuse, especially women. Women don't have to be in shul on Shabbos. And Baruch Hashem, our, our Noshim Tzidkanios, no, I have to be in shul. I want to hear the rep. I want to hear Rebetzin speak, or was Rabbi Vinom, or the rabbi. I want to be together, even having kiddush together and learning Torah over kiddush. That's a mitzvah too. So Baruch Hashem. So now let's see, especially on Pesach Sheni, let's find that extra thing that you don't have to do. You know, what kind of people do you feel closer to? People who only do what they have to do, they have a relationship with you, or to go a step further, something they did not have to do. And that will take us to Lag Bomer, which is this Tuesday, which will be having a Kumsitz Lag Bomer. And again, I will just quote one more story from the book, It's All About Change, about Rabbi Zechariah Wallstein, whom the shul is giving out free copies of the book to everyone who comes to shul. There's copies for everybody. It's probably the last story I'm going to quote because now you guys are going to read it all. And Rabbi Wallerstein, Zichron Levracha, would mention that every year he would go to Meiron on Lagba Omer. 
And every time he would visit, he'd go to his Rebbe, Rab Gamliel Rabinowitz. And one year he goes to him, and Rab Gamliel said to Rabbi Wallstein, and this could apply to us, he says, accept something upon yourself, and whatever you need, Hashem will answer you when you go to pray in Meron. Now, truthfully, you don't have to go to Meron. You say over a piece of Torah from Rab Shimbar Yochai, it's like you're in Meron, and that's what we'll do at our Kumzitz, this Lagbomer. So at that time, Rabbi Walson was with his youngest daughter, Hindi, and he said to her, if you'd like to become a Kala, like Rabbi Gamliel said, go up to Meron with your father, accept something upon yourself, write it down and keep it to very closely. You'll see that next Lag Bomer, you will know your Chassan. Okay. So that's what was said. What surprised Hindi and the whole family was Gamliel said, on the very day of Lag Bomer, she'll know the next year who she's going to marry, or even then. Very strange. But that's exactly what happened. One year later, on Lag Bomer, she got engaged. Now, at first, Hindi did not tell her husband anything about what had transpired with Rab Gamliel and the personal Kabbalah. But the night of their engagement, on Lag Bomer, she mentioned to her husband what had happened. So the husband said, so what did you accept upon yourself? And although she had told nobody, she confided to him and she said, I accepted that five minutes before Shabbos, I would be ready. And that's not something you have to do, but it's something you want to do. Her husband was speechless. What? What did you say? Well, she said, I accepted by myself that five minutes before Shabbos, I'd be ready. Husband said, you're not going to believe this. Last year, I also went to Rav Gamlil, and he told me, if you want to know who your kala is on next year's Lag Bomer, accept something upon yourself. And after I was told this, I wrote down a piece of paper that from now on, I'll make sure that I'm ready five minutes before Shabbos. They had both accepted the same thing without knowing about each other. Lag Bomer is an especially auspicious day to take on something new and commit to it. And it really works. So therefore, as we come into this, we'll call a long weekend, a spiritual long weekend, starting with Pesach Sheni, Shabbos, going into Lag Bomer. Let us think this Erev Shabbos about real Jewish FOMO and be maybe not a Haredi in everything in your life, but be a Haredi for one little thing and draw strength and courage from knowing that there were people who had no way of being able to fulfill Pesach and they complained to Hashem and Hashem had to create a new reality. We should be remembering on Pesach Sheni that we are not happy with what happened last Pesach, that we had no Beis Amigdash. And we have to tell Hashem, why should our portion be worse? And therefore, we have to try to accept things and Hashem says, are you really serious? Do you really want Mashiach? Well, why don't you do something you don't have to do now to show me how serious, how much skin you have in the game, how much real Haredi FOMO do you have? And Amir Tzashem, if we all have a little more Haredi FOMO in the context of what I have said, maybe Hashem this year will do the impossible. And we'll bring Mashiach. Bimheira, the Amenu, Amen. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful Shabbos.